This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right. Let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. I can't wait to travel with you. (laughs) I mean, you keep saying that. I don't know if that's a good idea. I want to unpack why you are so hesitant to vacation with me. Is it a you thing? (laughs) Is it because you think you suck? Or do you think I'm a terrible travel commit? Because I'll tell you one thing right now. I'm the best travel buddy. I have a few concerns. Ask anybody. I have extensive references. Oh my God. I'm going to call all of them. (laughs) I maybe would have traveled with you. And then, you know what mistake you made? You told me the story of Anna Delphi. And now I'm traveling (laughs) with no, with no bitch. Okay. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mo Gap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. Did you miss me? I missed you so much. It's been over two weeks since we recorded. I don't like that at all. Two whole weeks. For a moment... It was like I had quit the podcast. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) But nothing like coming back in full force with that glamour shot. I want to give a major shout to every single person that liked it, making me the most likable post on our Instagram currently, which means, (laughs) guess what that means? You have an even more inflated self sense of ego or? Oh, no, I had that all on my own. But this does mean you owe this white woman's Instagram the first pumpkin spice latte of the season. I will. Oh, God, that's right. How am I going to do that? Do I call Starbucks and just tell them to like Girl, hold it for me? They, You'll mobile order it. I'll walk you through it. Okay. But how do I make sure I get the first one? It'll be my first one. And my oh. only one. I only drink it once. I don't really like it. Your first one. I thought you meant like the first the first one of the season listen starbucks put everything on hold the most basic bitch is driving through in her big old truck no do you know where they can see more of your white woman's instagram mogab to a very nice curated music video you put together i do Uh know where did i post that mogab on our patreon on our patreon we have our patreon set up we reached our first goal So the classic Creepers level has filled up, but we got three awesome levels for you. Yes, you can still join, even though we've already reached 100. Yes, please, please still join. Join us. (laughs) Please still join. At the $5 level, you get a bonus episode. We're going to start our bonus episodes in September. The bonus. 
this? That is a full length episode, just like we would put out on our regular feed. Little bonus action for you. We're going to have a little theme going for those episodes, though. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. Oh, is this like your series that isn't really a consecutive series that's all unrelated? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and you get a shout out. Uh, for the $7 level, you get all of that. You also get our mini creeps episodes that are just amazing. I just don't know how else to put it. All different things, all different topics. Right now, we got four out. Then at the $10 level, you get all of that, plus 10% off our merch. You also get, with the 7 and the $10 level, you get our autograph and a nice card with a True Crime Creepers Chelsea logo decal. So cute. So cute. And I must say, I toiled over this sticker. I mean, I toy- toiled over this sticker. Yeah, big things happening in TCC world over here. And uh, so my friend's 14-year-old daughter, Fallon, wanted a shout out because uh, <laughs> she told me what size I should get so, <laughs> and explained why. So Fallon, this is your shout out. You also get a Patreon shout out. So go sign up for that, you silly girl. Fallon, out here doing the Lord's work. Thank you. <laughs> Real quick, before we get into the show today... I want to introduce you to a new true crime podcast called Ghost Town. If you like true crime, dark history, the haunted and paranormal, then we think you'll like Ghost Town. Ghost Town is hosted by me, Rebecca Lieb. And me, Jason Horton. We cover both notorious and obscure true crimes. The haunted, paranormal, and unexplained. And the dark history of everything from world events to pop culture. There are new episodes of Ghost Town every Wednesday and Friday. Find out for yourself what Vulture.com called essential listening and one listener called a total waste of time. So pause the podcast you're listening to right now. And go subscribe to Ghost Town for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And at ghosttownpod.com. All right, Mogab, you want to talk a little true crime? That's why I'm here. Our story today takes place in Danvers, Massachusetts, which, fun fact, was originally known as Salem Village. <gasps> Are we doing the Salem Witch Trials? God, I wish. I'm obsessed with them. But uh, it was actually home of the 1692 Salem Witch Trials, which I was very confused about because I thought the Salem Witch Trials happened in Salem. There is a Salem, Massachusetts, and they did. So we're going to go down a short rabbit hole that has nothing to do with this story, but is so oh, no. interesting to me because I'm obsessed with the Salem Witch Trials. Who's keeping who in the rails today? This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine, but the problem was and has always been too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pros custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. 
That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. Back in the day, 1692 day, all right? Okay. Salem, Massachusetts was divided into two parts. You had your Salem town and your Salem village. And Salem Village is what is Danvers now. It was renamed 100 years later after the witch trials. But at the time, it was home to mostly poor farmers. And Salem Town over here is where all the rich people were living. And the people of Salem Village, the poor farmers, they wanted to separate themselves from Salem Town because they thought that Salem Town's prosperity was going to rub off on them and would threaten their puritanical values. Okay. Probably that whole thing about like it easier to take a camel through an eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. Some parable. What are you talking about? That's in the Bible. Oh, I, yes, of course. I'm very familiar with that. But don't let my mom hear this. <laughs> I heard about that this Sunday at church when I was there. <laughs> Anyways. The people in Salem Village who lived near Ipswich Road, which is like on the line of Salem Town, they started making really good money as merchants and blacksmiths and carpenters and innkeepers. Like, they're doing great and they're loving it. And they were like, screw our Puritan values. Money is fun and I like it. So there was a lot of tension in Salem Village. And it's likely that this actually played a major factor in the witch trials. Because most of the villagers that were accused of witchcraft lived near Ipswich, where all the poor farmers were becoming rich merchants, and all of the accusers were all farmers in Salem Village. Do you want to know at all what I'm picturing right now, (laughs) or should I keep it to myself? I absolutely want to know, because I know I have the option to cut this. (laughs) (laughs) What? Kanye. Kanye. I'm not even going to ask for clarification or explanation. (laughs) Okay, moving on. (laughs) Keep going. So that's our little history lesson for you there. Actually, that's a lie. I'm not done. It's also (gasps) home to Danvers State Hospital, which is one of the most infamous asylums in like all of history. It was originally called the State Lunatic Asylum of Danvers, showing just how much people in the 1800s really cared about mental health. (laughs) That's offensive. (laughs) Very much so. But it's a gorgeous, like, gothic-style building, but it's super famous for being just absolutely horrific to the patients there. Like, when people think how awful psychiatric hospitals were, they're thinking of Danvers. Truly awful. Is it still standing? Yes. It's now apartments. It used to be called the Hell House on the Hill, and it's super haunted. You done with your history lesson here, Professor Benz? I'm done. Was that not interesting? Is that not a little interesting <laughs> sidescape? Did you get my Professor Benz reference? I was really proud of that. Aw, history of magic. I know, because it was so boring, remember? I can't even be mad at that reference, though. That was a good one. I know, it was good. That wasn't really boring. I was actually very interested in that. <laughs> Today... Danvers is a small suburb of Boston. It's got around 27,000 people. The high school's mascot is the Falcons, which is what my high school was. Oh, you're clear like showing again. (laughs) There's about a thousand students at the high school, a hundred teachers, and a security system that included security personnel and 140 cameras monitoring the hallways. 
state of the art in 2013. Oh, 2013. That's where we're at right now. That's where we're at is 2013. <laughs> really jumped from 1692 to 2013. I can't wait to see how that. I saw Salem Witch Trials. I couldn't move past it. <laughs> oh, good. That year, 2013, Matt, 1692. <laughs> that year, Colleen Ritzer was one of the math teachers at Danvers High School. She was a young teacher, only 24, and it was only her second year teaching there. But already, she was a favorite with the students. She loved teaching. She'd wanted to be a teacher since she was a little kid because she wanted to inspire people. And she'd often give students extra tutoring after school. And she was known for tweeting out inspirational messages to her students. Same. <laughs> Even today, her Twitter bio still says, math teacher, often too excited about the topics I'm teaching. Oh, no. What happens to her? On October 17th, 2013, she tweeted a meme that said, parallel lines have got so much in common. It's a shame they'll never meet. Oh, I'm going to this Twitter right now. <laughs> and over the next four days, she posted assignments and homework for her algebra and geometry students. On October 21st, 2013, she posted a review packet for her geometry class. And that's the last time she ever tweeted. Oh, no. Colleen, what happened? Late October meant fall for Danvers, Massachusetts, and everyone was gearing up for Halloween. I mean, basically picture the town in Hocus Pocus because that's where we're at. My God, have you seen Hocus Pocus? What's that? Oh, my God. Of course I've seen Hocus Pocus. Boo! <laughs> I just wanted to do that. <laughs> I wanted to freak you out. <laughs> you were really concerned. Boo! Of course I have. Book. <laughs> I told you, who's keeping who in the rails tonight? <laughs> it's times like these when I really wish we were recording these things. What do you mean? We are recording these things. No, the video. Oh, I was like, oh my God, if you haven't pushed record yet, I am going to murder you. <laughs> Literally. On air. All right. So picture the town in Hocus Pocus. That's where we're at. At 6.34 on October 22nd, 2013. Danvers police got a call from a woman named Diana Chisholm, who wanted to report her son, Philip, as missing. <gasps> he was 14 years old, and he hadn't come home from school that day. And this is 630. Diana had gone up to Danvers High School, where he was a freshman, to look for him, thinking maybe soccer practice had run late that day or something. But it turns out, Philip hadn't made it to soccer practice that day at all, and Diana was really worried. Philip had only moved to Danvers about two months before, so he didn't have a lot of friends at the school yet, and no one really knew him very well. He'd moved to Danvers from Tennessee with his mother and his two siblings because his parents were going through a really difficult divorce, and Philip's mom's aunt had a house there, and they moved into the basement apartment at the house, which is literally right on a gorgeous river. I looked the house up on Google Maps. It's 10 Riverside Street in Danvers, Massachusetts, if anyone wants to see it. You're such a creep. <laughs> you give me an address and I'm plugging it in. <laughs> I want that street view, baby. <laughs> I am not living in a basement, even as a spirit or a human. I'm not going down there. I'm not. Well, and apparently waterfront living was not really Philip's main goal in life like it is mine because he was having <laughs> he's a 14. <laughs> Look, maybe I'm <sighs> he was having a really hard time with the move and with the divorce. He hadn't wanted to leave Tennessee at all. And Diana was questioning whether he'd maybe run away. 
Luckily, Philip had a cell phone, and when police called AT&T to ping it, they were told that it was last known to be near the Hollywood Hits movie theater. When police went to the theater, they discovered that James had seen a movie there, a Woody Allen film called Blue Jasmine, except a CNN article I read said that at trial, they said the movie he was going to was Gravity. So Gravity, Blue Jasmine, doesn't really matter. Either way, by the time police got there, he'd already left. They did discover that he'd purchased the tickets with Colleen's credit card. Oh, hell no. Here I was thinking Colleen was all cute with her little Twitter homework. He's like 12, 14. 14. Mm -hmm. Police tried pinging the phone again, but no such luck. So they went to their Twitter and Facebook and posted alerts about the missing child. The principal of the high school, Sue Ambrosovich, was getting increasingly worried about her missing student. She'd gotten a call around 6 o'clock that night from a parent of another student at the school who said she'd seen Philip running away from the high school around 3.30. I looked up school release times, and this is accurate as of today, so I'm assuming it was the same eight years ago. But school gets out at 1.55, but they have an extended block from 2 to 2.40. And then after that, Colleen would often keep students after school for additional tutoring. Mrs. Ambrosovich, the principal, she told that parent to contact the police, but when Phillips still hadn't been found by 9 o'clock that night, she sent a mass email out to the staff of the high school to let them all know that Philip was missing. What she wasn't expecting was a phone call from one of her math teachers, Sarah Giaquinta, letting her know that Philip wasn't the only one missing. Her fellow math teacher, Colleen Ritzer, had also not made it home. She told Mrs. Ambrosovich that she'd gotten a call from Colleen's parents, Tom and Peggy Ritzer, who Colleen still lived with, and they'd told Sarah that Colleen had never come home from work. She was pretty consistent about being home by 3.30 every day, but they thought maybe she'd made plans, maybe she'd been in an accident, but when they couldn't get through to her on her cell phone and she hadn't posted on Facebook, they got really worried. Tom had gone up to the school, he'd seen Colleen's car in the parking lot, but no sign of her at the school. He looked around a bit, and then he and Peggy had started calling around to Colleen's friends, including Sarah Giaquinta. That's how she got that call. I am flipping out. So then, after Sarah saw the email about Philip missing, she knew she had to call Mrs. Ambrosovich because Sarah happened to know that Philip Chisholm was in Colleen's last period class. <gasps> they were seen in her class together after school. Initially, Nobody knew what to think, but it didn't look great. Colleen was a young teacher, only 24, but it seemed incomprehensible that they could have gone missing together. Yeah, it should. It should. <laughs> it should. I'm so cringed out. I, I don't know if I can do this. Ooh. You want to hold on to your leggings there and let me tell you this story? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'd prefer you didn't, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't think I've ever liked any ending so far. <laughs> I mean, but you know what? We're only on like episode 45, so give it your best shot. So Ms. Ambrosovich got a group together, including Colleen's parents and several members of the Danvers Police Department, and they all went out to the high school to look for Colleen and Philip. When they got there, they could see Colleen's car was still in the parking lot, but there was no sign of her. They went inside her classroom, they saw her belongings weren't there, her purse wasn't there, but no clues to where she might be. Colleen's parents left the high school and went straight to the police department to file a missing persons report. 
Do they know at this time, like, do her parents know about the missing student? Does the missing student's parents know about Colleen missing? Yes. Everybody knows about all of them. Yes. Any other missing persons case, the police would probably tell them to wait 48 hours, yada, 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 especially since Colleen's an adult. But police went right into action, probably because of the connection with Philip's disappearance. Once the missing persons report was filed, Danvers PD put in a request for Colleen's phone to be pinged. The report came back saying the last known location of her cell phone was over by the middle school, which is about a mile and a half away from the high school. Then the police realized what a gold mine they had in the surveillance cameras at the high school. Remember the Finally. 140 cameras in the hallway? Yeah, but I feel like we've done a lot of things where I expect there to be cameras, like the bougie school mm-hmm. in Irvine mm-hmm. or the Rebecca Zahau where they got this mansion with no cameras. I've been waiting <laughs> for camera footage for a long time. 140 cameras. The whole story played out in front of them. The next day, on October 23rd, Officer Steve Baldassar reviewed the footage from the cameras, and what he saw was horrifying. And after watching that footage, he had lost all hope of a happy ending. Wait, what's the what do I I don't want to ask. Let me just ask this. I truly don't want to lose my lunch here. Is it romantic or violent? Well, do you want me to tell you the story or not? I I don't know. (laughs) Fine, tell me. Tell me the story your way. (laughs) Okay. He was specifically looking for signs of Colleen or Philip after school. So he fast-forwarded to about 2 o'clock, and he first spotted Colleen talking with Sarah Giaquinta in the hall around 2.30. At 2.54, which would have been after that extended block was over, he saw Colleen leave her classroom. There's a camera right outside her classroom. He saw her walk outside her classroom and walk towards the women's restroom. She seems to wave at someone behind the camera as she walks, and then right after she's out of frame... You see Philip walk out of the classroom into the hallway wearing a blue zip-up hoodie and jeans, and you can see that the pocket of the hoodie is stuffed full of something. (gasps) He takes a few steps like he's going to follow her, but then he turns around and ducks back into the classroom to pull his hoodie up over his head, walks out again, positioning the hoodie to try to hide his face as if he hadn't just been on camera five seconds before wearing the exact same thing. And he walks down the hall in the same direction Colleen went. Colleen enters the girls' student restroom. And a minute later, Philip comes on camera just outside the bathroom. His hoodie's up over his head. And he's pulling gloves on as he walks Mm. into the bathroom. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Why? I hope it's drugs. That's the only answer here I'm okay with is drugs. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's not drugs. Ugh. Ten minutes later, neither Philip nor Colleen have left. He's in the bathroom? He's in the bathroom with the gloves on? He's in the bathroom with the gloves on. And another student, a girl, walks into the bathroom and immediately walks out. She later said she saw a butt and figured she'd walked in on someone changing in there. Soon after, (sighs) Philip is seen walking out of the bathroom with the hood over his head. And you can see his hand is completely red. Oh. It's covered in blood. He was in a bathroom and he didn't even bother washing the blood off his hands. Okay, wait, this isn't where I thought this was going. Ooh, I don't know that I've been this nervous before. I'm gonna need you to (laughs) hurry up. He spends some time going all over the place, up and down the hall, up and down the stairs, in and out of the building. Finally, he goes back to Colleen's classroom 
He goes inside in his blue hoodie and he comes back out with a black bag over his shoulder and he's carrying a gray and yellow backpack in one hand and a purple bag in the other hand. He's also lost the blue hoodie now and he just has a red zip up sweatshirt thrown over his head. Like he's not wearing it. It's just thrown on top of his head. What the fuck? He's 14. So he goes down the stairs and he comes back a minute later without the bags and with a mask pulled up over his face. It looks like a neck gaiter, which like pre-2020, I wouldn't even known what that was. Yeah, I know exactly what that is now. He walks up and down the hall several times. Then he's off camera for a few minutes. And when he comes back, he's coming down the hall toward the bathroom, pulling a recycling bin behind him. Like the (gasps) big barrel. Oh my God. So she hasn't come out of the bathroom. Correct. Obviously. When they were searching the school for both of these people, did they not go in all the bathrooms and like yell out? They did. Yeah. Oh. I think they searched the campus. I can't believe where this is going. I know. I can't believe you're doing this the day after you went back to school. (laughs) Why do you think I did it? Yes, it's exactly. Welcome back to school. (laughs) Aren't you terrified? I'm going to do this one. This is why I don't teach 14-year-olds. Okay, when he gets to the bathroom, he's got the neck gaiter around his neck, but it's not pulled up covering his face anymore. I don't know why he's bothering with that thing. I mean, it, yeah, you can tell it's him. You are. It, yeah, it doesn't just like we've seen everybody in masks. You you know it's you even when you have the mask. <laughs> right. Which don't even get me started on the holes I want to poke in Cinderella story. No. From <laughs> Oh yeah, no kidding. Like he didn't oh, know yeah. it was her at the mask ball. Go. But I mean, th- I, these jokes have been made about Superman for forever too. You know, I mean, it's like, uh, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. No one knew. He's got the neck gator pulled up around his neck, but it's not pulled up covering his face. And he wheels the recycling barrel into the bathroom. Mm. There's no cameras in the bathroom. Well. He's seen coming out 10 minutes later with the net gator pulled up over his nose, the red sweatshirt's gone, and he's caught on separate cameras wheeling the recycling barrel out of the building to the sidewalk, past a man walking his dog. No one pays him any attention. He continues down the sidewalk toward the field house, and then seven minutes later, he's seen wheeling the barrel back away from the field house, past the dumpsters, and continuing to the student parking lot. (gasps) 30 minutes later, it's 4 o'clock at this point, Philip comes back to the school, and he doesn't have the recycling bin with him anymore. He's now barefoot, and there are blood stains on his jeans. He goes to his locker, and he gets a white Nike drawstring bag out, and then he goes to the bathroom wearing the same white t-shirt and jeans as before. But when he comes out, he's changed into an all-black outfit, black basketball what? shorts and a black hoodie. He's got his glasses on, and he's carrying his jeans and the Nike bag, and he walks out of the building still barefoot. I'm confused on all the outfit changes and the masks and the hoodies. I think he really thought he was doing something there. like, But, like, he knows that there's cameras. He knows that people are going to be looking for him. I also still can't get over that I thought this was a relationship. (laughs) (laughs) So I feel bad about that. He walks around the parking lot for a while, and then he comes back in the building around 424. By now, he's got shoes on. He spends like seven minutes wandering completely aimlessly around the school, up and down halls, into the gym, out of the gym, past the front office, turning down random hallways, before he finally leaves at like 431. Freaking out. Yeah, I think he's definitely freaking out, trying to figure out what to do. Like what he just did. Yeah, I think you're right. 
By the time police finish watching the tapes, they have a very foreboding feeling about what happened to Colleen. She was never seen on the tapes exiting the bathroom, and they knew she had to be in the recycling bin that Philip had wheeled in and out and around the school. Not a good sign. Neither was the blood they found in the bathroom and in her classroom. (gasps) There was blood in her classroom? Yeah, probably from him, though, going in there. Like walking it. Well, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. A side note about the blood in the bathroom, because all police actually found was a smear of blood. And this is because after the attack, a school custodian walked into the bathroom and he said it looked like a slaughterhouse, like it was drenched in blood. So he just cleaned it up? So he went downstairs to tell his supervisor. But this custodian didn't speak English very well. And when he said he found blood in the woman's bathroom, the supervisor thought he said blue And that he was talking about some spilled cleaner. So he told him to clean it up and he gave him a hose and a key to the water spigot in the bathroom. Oh, no, 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 no. So the custodian then went back and worked on the bathroom for 45 minutes using the hose, a squeegee, and a floor cleaning machine to remove all the blood. The blood that didn't get washed down the drain wound up inside the floor cleaner. And police would also later find Colleen's diamond stud earring. In the floor cleaner as well. Like when you say floor cleaner, you mean like the drain on the, the floor? Or no, like the liquid? machine. The machine oh, that oh. he used to clean the floor. Yes. Oh, my God. I do think this was an honest mistake, but I also sure. think like he sh- probably should have said, why don't you come and look at what I'm talking about before I clean this up? Like, it's a lot of blood. I think we need to call the police. Because if, if he said, hey, I found blood in the women's bathroom, even if he understood blood, he might have assumed like, Somebody cut themselves in the sink and, like, you just clean it up, you know? Yeah. Not drenched in somebody's blood. I'm nauseous. Okay. That's the word he used. I know. And despite his effort to clean, he still left behind some bloodstains, including a drip of blood running down the doorframe and others on the wall behind a toilet, by a hand dryer, and on the base of the wall. And I just can't imagine how bad it must have been for him to spend 45 minutes cleaning that up with a hose and to still leave some behind. It was the middle of the night when police started searching the high school grounds and the woods that lined the school. As they walked into the woods, they found her purse, but it was completely empty. No wallet, nothing inside. Not a good sign. Because Phillip's out going to a movie with her credit card. God. Ew. A couple of hours later, around 3 a.m., as investigators searched the woods next to the school, an official pointed out something poking through the leaves. It turned out to be a toe. Its nail was painted pink. They'd found Colleen's body buried under a pile of leaves. She'd been murdered. She was naked from the waist down, and she'd been posed in a very graphic position. She was covered in scratches, dirt, and blood, especially around her neck. And next to her body was a handwritten note that said, I hate you all. In her handwriting? No. No, uh, Philip left that note. There were other clues surrounding the body. Philip Chisholm's backpack was there with his identification on it. So he literally does not care. Like, he doesn't care. I mean, he cares enough to wear the mask and the gloves and change the clothes, but then, yeah. They also found the recycling bin there and the bloody gloves. There was also bloody clothing, including a pair of jeans hanging from a tree branch. It wasn't hard to put two and two together. Yeah, like, what's the point of even the gloves? Like, Exactly. 
While police in Danvers were out searching for Colleen, police in Topsfield, which is a town about 10 minutes away, found Philip walking along a highway. It was just after midnight, and initially the officer, Officer Hovey, he stopped Philip because it's dangerous to walk along a highway so late at night. That's fine. Let him. Let his ass. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Go play in some traffic, Philip. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sorry, but. No, you know. I'm, I agree. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> but he quickly realized that Philip was a missing person from Danvers. He patted Philip down for safety reasons and found a knife on him. But he waited until they were at the Topsfield police station to inventory his backpack. So his backpack is with him. So there's a different backpack, the drawstring Nike bag, maybe in the woods. Or he has two bags, basically. He had his backpack and the white Nike bag. Yeah. This dude out here, like, it's a fashion show. Right. Yeah. They inventoried his backpack when they were at the police station. And inside, the officer found a bloodstained box cutter. And he asked Philip where the blood came from. And he said, the girl. <gasps> Officer Hovey also found several credit cards and two Massachusetts driver's licenses, all belonging to Colleen Ritzer. Philip said he found them at a stop and shop. But then he changed his story and said he got them out of her car. Officer Hovey also found a pair of women's underwear in his backpack. Oh, God, what a creep. And after finding all of this stuff, that's when Philip Chisholm went from missing person to murder suspect. He was transferred to the Danvers police station and placed under arrest, and he was charged with murder, robbery, and rape. So police began to gather more evidence about Philip. They were fairly clear on what happened based on the surveillance tape and the evidence found on Colleen's body. Philip had followed Colleen into the bathroom, snuck up on her from behind, and punched her twice in the face and then strangled her and stabbed her at least 16 times. Oh, my God. And raped oh, her. why? Why? Yeah. He was interrupted <sighs> by that student coming into the bathroom, that girl, and he didn't get to finish what he'd started. And so he put her body in the recycling bin, wheeled her out to the woods, and finished it there by sexually assaulting her with a tree branch. Ew. Wait, was she already deceased? There is also some arguments about that. I believe that she was already dead in the bathroom. And we'll get into this in a little bit. The prosecution said that they think that she was probably alive still when he put her in the recycling bin and took her out to the woods. But I think that's because they wanted to get this harsher charge on him and they oh, felt yeah. like they needed that detail to get it. And so I don't begrudge them of that in this particular case, <laughs> but I do think that I think that she was already dead. He left her body posed in a graphic position for police to find several hours later while he went to a Woody Allen film and then wandered about. Did he actually sit in and watch the movie or do we think he just bought a ticket? Like we think he's sitting there like watching a movie. Different sources said different things about that. Okay, so police have the big picture. They feel like they have a pretty good idea of what happened. But there were a few details that they'd seen in the video that they wanted to investigate further, like the fact that Philip put gloves on as he walked into the bathroom. Yeah. Where did the gloves come from? And why bother? And, and why bother? But also, like, did he bring those to school? Had he... Like, was it a plan? Right. Or did he go to, like, the science lab and get them? Right. Almost as soon as Philip was picked up by police, he started talking, and he made several incriminating statements. 
During the interview, Philip was with his mother, Diane, and he waived his Miranda rights, which always makes me nervous because he's 14. We do not care. I'm no, sorry. We want that. We do, not do you want him in jail or out of jail? I want him in. Okay. And I, I then want him you in want him time. to have his Miranda rights because if you get the right defense lawyer and a 14 year old who's waived his rights with the wrong judge, bam, you've got a charges dismissed. We don't want charges dismissed. Listen, if some judge lets this hooligan free, I want you to call me direct. Yeah, and I mean that didn't that didn't that doesn't happen here. I, it doesn't happen. Oh, here. thank God! Because but it could have, and his lawyers made a good argument for it. And I think the only reason they did is because honestly, the judge was not following the law. Because if he really was, things might have had to go a little differently. He's following my Especially law. Especially when he <laughs> he's following the natural order of things. <laughs> Vin Diesel? Is that you? No. Is that what that's from? Or no. was that just you? That was okay. Just me. That was just like my um alter ego. <laughs> yeah. <out>. Vin Diesel's <laughs> like, my alter ego now. <laughs> but that voice, that that uh-huh. would be like my alter ego. There's like Mogab, and then I feel like you just impersonate my alter ego, which would be this like redneck dude <laughs> just like gives no shit. You know, He's, like Bubba over here driving around in his truck like the law, you know? That's the way things is around here. <laughs> <laughs> Can we name him? Is that Bubba? That's Bubba. All right, Bubba. <laughs> Glad he came to play. (laughs) Yes. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Creepers. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. 
any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. He ended up giving a basically a full confession in this interview. Well, Ugh. kind of a full confession that definitely minimized what he did to Colleen. He admitted he murdered her, but he said he didn't oh. rape her. And instead of saying he punched her in the face, which from her body, they could tell that he did that twice. He said he gave her a karate chop and knocked her out. And he said that he'd only cut her twice. One time hadn't even broken the skin. He'd just dragged the box cutter across her throat. And the second wound across her neck is what killed her, according to Philip. Oh, oh my God. The other 14 plus stab wounds must have been caused by stigmata. This kid is not for real. <laughs> he completely denied raping her. He said it wasn't anything sexual. But there is physical evidence that proves that she was raped twice during the attack. Why? What is is his mom doing? She is asking for a lawyer and they are ignoring her. So once again. Is she like losing her mind? She's doubled over weeping. Oh my God. During the whole interview. (sighs) And I can't even imagine what it would be like for your son to do something so horrible. God, and my mom's over here bitching that I didn't do chores, you know? Like, right. You're welcome. You had it so good. Right. You know? Same. Yeah. Yeah, right. When they asked him why he'd done this, he told police that some trigger word got him angry, but he wouldn't say what the word is. And this is so strange. I almost hate to even say it because it's so ridiculous. But now I think that they're pretty sure that that trigger word was Tennessee, which is where he lived before Danvers. Like, she said that and he flipped out? Yeah. So there was a student in the classroom with them at the end of the day who said that she had seen them talking. And it seemed to me like Colleen was trying to build like a relationship with Philip. And she was trying to kind of talk with him, chat with him, get to know him. And she knew or found out that he was from Tennessee and she was talking to him about Tennessee. And the student said that you could see that he was getting visibly upset about talking about Tennessee, that Colleen didn't seem to notice, that she just kept talking on and on about Tennessee. And when she finally did realize that it was bothering him, she changed the subject. But after that, he murdered her. So later, Philip's lawyers would say that police coerced him into waiving his rights and also coerced him into making all the detailed statements about the murder. Oh, give me a break. The guy's leaving backpacks around and like IDs and... Yeah, and that's all evidence that should be used against him. But they have a point here. I'm not saying that they don't have enough to like say it was him. But with this confession, they have a point. His mother's asked for a lawyer. The police are continuing to question him anyway. 
And the problem with this is if they didn't have all that evidence, he could have gotten away with it. Well, so is the thought like, okay, they're just continuing to ask him questions because he's speaking and they think like he's going to get a lawyer and then he's going to zip up and then they have nothing. Like, I think if I was in that scenario, I would do the same thing probably and be a terrible cop because if he's confessing things, I'm getting that confession before a lawyer zips him up. But what happens is then the lawyer gets the confession thrown out. You can't use it at all. And so if that's your only evidence, which is what ended up happening, the confession was not allowed in court because it was, I mean, obviously they should have stopped questioning him when they asked for a lawyer. They didn't. And in this case, you don't need the confession. Even though you can't see the murder happen because it was in the bathroom, it's so clear what's happening on these tapes. Like, there's no question about it. You don't need the well, confession the to convict him. There. But what if you did need that confession? Like, what if you didn't have a tape showing you what happened? What if you didn't have his backpack there? What if he didn't well, leave physical evidence? Well, then I'm sure it's evidence? like 500 million other crimes that happen all the time that we don't. That's what I'm saying. Then, But you know it's him because he confessed. But you get that confession thrown out because you didn't get him a lawyer? Stop it. Well... I am struggling with <laughs> following the law. <laughs> Bubba. Bubba's at the buffet tonight. And I like, why? Why does it have to work that way? Because it's so important. Because people are innocent too. Like, not everybody has committed this crime. And so. Okay, but this Yahoo isn't. Yes, but if we. If we slip and slide on this Yahoo, we've got to slip and slide on everybody else. Like, we're allowed to slip and slide on everybody else. We don't have to follow the rules because we're so sure we did it. And I think that's why so many innocent people land in prison is because most of the time, I think the police officers truly believe that that person committed the crime. I think in very rare instances, they don't think that at all and they throw them into jail. but. In most of the cases, I think that they're certain that that person did it. Like, look at Richard Glossop. They are certain that he did what he was convicted of, certain of it, so certain of it that they might be willing to cut some corners and skip over some rules so that they can get him. And when that happens, the whole system falls apart. And this is why defense attorneys are so incredibly important to our justice system. Sometimes they suck. Sometimes they get bad people out of prison. It sucks that they're expensive and that not everybody can afford a good defense attorney. And that sucks. Yeah, that's starting to become like high on my list of fears. Without? Not that I'll ever do anything, but now I'm like, oh my God, would I afford a defense attorney? You know, like. Yeah, you just do. You just do it. You raise money. Please, like you could put a GoFundMe. We'll give you, we'll throw in five bucks for your defense. Depending on what you did. I mean, did you do it? Are you innocent? Listen, I heard everything (laughs) you were saying just now when you were on your soapbox. Mm -hmm. I I really did. I also heard you say slip and slide a lot. And I think we should get a slip and slide (laughs) for our birthday. Wouldn't that be fun? Uh, Yeah, let's do it. Okay, we should have another joint birthday. Okay. I have a backyard. Slip and slide. I know. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Just wanted to. Okay. We just have to make sure that somebody goes and clears all the rocks. Police discovered that Philip had brought with him to school that day a box cutter, gloves, 
a mask, and an extra change of clothes. And this told detectives that Philip had planned this murder. He'd brought all that stuff to school with the intention to kill Colleen for some reason. Well, so that makes me think that it really wasn't like I heard a trigger word and snapped. It's not like he grabbed a pair of scissors out of his backpack. Yes. I don't think he snapped. I think that he came to school intending to do that. Now, do I know for sure he intended to do that to Colleen? Was he maybe just wanting to kill someone? And he was looking for any reason to do that. And that's why this whole Tennessee thing came up. But to me, there is no answer. And that's why people are debating about Tennessee, because at least it's some explanation. Otherwise, we have nothing. Yeah. And during this whole interview, like I said, his mother, Diane, is just doubled over weeping. Oh, you saw that. No, I didn't watch the interviews. I just watched the surveillance at the school. Police gave Philip a piece of paper with a drawing of a head and a neck and asked Philip to draw where Colleen's injuries were, and he drew two lines on the neck. Philip also drew two maps for police, one to show them where Colleen's body was and one showing exactly where he'd stashed both his and Colleen's cell phone in a woodpile near the Hollywood Hits movie theater. So is this all part of the confession? Like the maps, mm-hmm. all of that is like all still part of, that could be thrown out. Okay. Yeah. Police wondered if there maybe was something on the phones, like he'd filmed the murder or something, and that's why he'd smashed them. But they weren't ever able to recover anything like incriminating off of the phones. Sorry. If they did find something incriminating on the phones, could they have used that? That's not? another problem because possibly not because they wouldn't have gotten the phones without that interview that was done illegally. And so then anything resulting from that gets thrown out too. So... Well, the phones weren't near the body. They were in a different woodpile situation. They were at the theater, the movie theater, yeah. So police were also able to identify the student that walked into the bathroom, the one that interrupted Philip. She said that she'd gone into the bathroom because she was going to try to call her dad. But when she walked in, she thought she walked in on someone changing like changing their clothes, because she said she saw a bare butt. It was someone standing up and leaning over, and the skin tone that she described matched Philip Chisholm. Ew. So she didn't even say, like, it was a guy in the girls' bathroom? No, I don't think she got a good enough look at anything. I think she walked in, she saw bare ass, and turned around and was like, whoa, and walked back out. Like yeah. walking in on somebody in the bathroom. You don't linger long enough yeah. to see who's peeing. You just see somebody's in there, and you walk out. Yeah. Also, the student that told police about the whole Tennessee conversation, she also told them that she saw him talking to himself in the classroom during that time. Hmm. Separate student than the student that went in the bathroom. Correct. Yeah, different person. Students at the school mourned their teacher's death. For a math teacher, she was truly beloved. And, you know, I always hated math. But my favorite teacher I ever had was my seventh grade math teacher. Shouts to you, Coach B. And so I feel like like when you find that teacher that makes you feel good about your worst subject, that can be really meaningful. And I feel like she was that person for a lot of people. She was tweeting out homework. I know. And little memes, little math memes. And she would be like, yay, math. (laughs) I know. Oh. But Philip's soccer teammates also had good things to say about him. They said he always had a smile on his face. He'd play around and joke around with them. 
They were all in shock that he was capable of doing something like this. It was decided that even though he was 14 when the crime was committed, he would be tried as an adult. Because it was heinous. It was a heinous crime. That's why I learned that. (laughs) And it would be about two years before his trial would finally begin. The state is going after him hard. They're trying to get him found guilty of first degree murder, rape, and robbery. But even if he is found guilty of first degree murder, because of his age, he could be eligible for parole after 15 years. A year later, legislation would change that law to 30 years, but the rape and robbery also each carried a potential life sentence, which we know is average 15 years. Yes. But that meant that prosecutors could seek more time if they could convict him of those also. So they needed, you know, it's not that hard to convict him of the first degree murder, but they want to convict him of first degree rape and robbery also which might prove to be a little more difficult, so that he can get more than 15 years in prison. His defense was probably the only possible defense, that Philip was experiencing a psychotic episode at the time of the crime. But juries in Massachusetts rarely go for insanity defenses, especially... Same. (laughs) I don't either. Yeah. Especially in a crime as horrific and as methodically planned out as this one was. That would be a tough sell for the defense. He brought the stuff to school. That's premeditated. Yup. Like the definition of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The jury would be taken on a tour of the school and they'd be allowed to watch the surveillance tapes. But the judge struck the confession tapes from evidence. So they would not be allowed to watch that. Ugh, that's annoying to me. (laughs) But fine. It's not to me because you have to follow The law. I know. And I like to apply it at my convenience. (laughs) And a lot of people do. And that is the problem. Because if you are somebody that wants to apply it, if you're like a police officer that wants to apply it at their convenience, maybe that convenience doesn't extend to people of color or poor people or, you know, Ednan Syed and Richard Glossop and all these other people. No, I like all those people. (laughs) Right. It's these 14-year-old white kids that are getting on my damn nerves. <laughs> well, Philip is not a white kid. He's biracial, but Oh, okay, we'll cut that. <laughs> the prosecutor for the case was named Kate McDougal. In her opening statement, she said, "When 14-year-old Philip Chisholm arrived at Danvers High School, he had in his possession a blue sweatshirt with a hood, gloves, a mask, a box cutter, and a terrible purpose. A doctor testifying for the defense said that after he'd been arrested, he'd been given antipsychotic drugs and that his condition had improved. Another doctor testified that he'd met with Philip seven times and that Philip heard voices. But he also got to the bottom of why Philip had done this. So everybody that wants that answer, here it is. That's me. He believed he was a ninja at the time of the homicide. Uh... No, it makes perfect sense, Mogab. Is he karate chopped? Didn't he say that? Right. Remember the karate chop because he was a ninja. But also, here's the thing. I don't buy for a second that he didn't know exactly what he was doing when he was doing it. But if he really did think he was a ninja, he was the world's worst ninja, considering he was just walking around all over the school on videotape and like not being sneaky at all. Ninjas are very sneaky. Does explain him being barefoot, though, maybe. I've never seen a ninja in shoes. They have things that cover their feet, little black socks. 
Also, do ninjas use box cutters or do they just use nunchucks? <laughs> okay, well, I understand that I might be a ninja, <laughs> but also, do ninjas rape people? I don't think I think ninjas have a code. I mean, code. all of my knowledge of ninjas comes solely from three ninjas and surf ninjas. <laughs> and if you haven't seen both of those movies, I feel very sorry for you. I don't know that I've seen Surf Ninjas, but that sounds right up my alley. You would love it. And I found it. They have it on YouTube, the full movie. Oh, okay. But also Three Ninjas and Three Ninjas Kick Back and Rocky Loves Emily. Okay. Oh, I feel a Fast and the Furious segment coming on. (laughs) Three Ninjas. Rocky Loves Emily. Rocky Loves Emily. Those movies are extreme joy. Just joy. The doctor testified that Philip heard commanding voices instructing him to carry out tasks and that he'd been on the schizophrenia spectrum since the age of 10. And I don't know this doctor's methods, but I can only assume that he came to that conclusion because of Philip's self-reporting, like all the times that voices are heard and the commanding voices instruct him to carry out these tasks. Like, how else would he know that he'd had it since age of, of 10? And the doctor also said that Philip had shown remorse, and he believed that if he hadn't heard the voices, he wouldn't have caused these difficulties for Colleen's family. Okay, first of all. Yeah. Don't ever call them difficulties again. Second, he showed absolutely no remorse. There's not been a single ounce of remorse in this whole story. Yeah. And the prosecution called total bullshirts on all that. They challenged the medical testimony and accused Philip of making it all up, or at the very least, exaggerating his symptoms. And we talked in the episode on Peyton Lautner, the Slenderman stabbings, that early onset or childhood onset schizophrenia is incredibly rare. 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 It's a lot more common in children who have parents with a psychiatric disorder. And, you know, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because Peyton lived and Colleen died. Or because that was 12-year-old girls and this is a 14-year-old boy and I have internalized bias. But I just do not have the grace in me that I had for those girls. And it's not that I had a lot of grace for them, but I – a lot more than I have for him. And there's a – okay. Welcome to my buffet, first of all. <laughs> Welcome to the play buffet. Glad you're here. Stay a while. But this is different. This feels so much more – I don't want to downplay what happened to Peyton. And it's to me, it's not about one of them living and the other one not. But this feels so much more gruesome and thought. I mean, I guess the other one was thought out. I know. I keep saying, like, this one's so thought out and planned. And then I'm like, well, so was theirs. They had three But I believe, I mean, I hated everything about that one. I believe that they thought this part of the Slenderman thing. This, like, you're not a ninja, bro. You know it. Like, this was... Yes. And the prosecution called several witnesses who had evidence that Philip was faking his mental illness, including a doctor who testified that Philip was not psychotic and he showed multiple inconsistencies with his symptoms. And they also pointed out that Philip had been found competent to stand trial. It took like eight times to find Morgan competent enough to stand trial. Like she had to go through so much. And he... Like, he's just like a a 14-year-old kid mad that his parents are getting divorced. Like, get over it, dude. We all have parents that got divorced. Yeah, welcome to literally 95% of America. (laughs) America! That's what he sounded like. Uh. 
Yeah. I don't know. It just, it does feel different to me. Maybe it shouldn't. You're right. We have, I'm sure, some implicit bias. But I would also say, too, not that this, you know, the the remorse piece, and I don't know, you know, I don't really remember all of Slenderman, but there was some back and forth of like, no, you do it. I can't do it. No, like, there was this like, oh, are we really going to do this? Oh, no. Like, but there was second guessing in that. And I know there's not another person that we have a conversation between Philip and this other person, but... I just – I see what you're saying. Right. Like he put those gloves on, walked into that bathroom. He made a choice and he went and did it. And he followed through with it pretty easily too because right away yeah. – because I don't think there was a whole lot of signs of struggle on her body because – And the sexual she, stuff makes it worse for me too. I mean I – you know. And that had to be me. after. Right. You know? Yeah. So yeah, I – Thank you. I am here at the Blaine Buffet. You'll be sitting here for a long time. Because <laughs> I started to feel a little guilty. Like, why am I being a little easier on the girls than I was for him? They're about the same age. It's about yeah, the same There's a little crime. bit of implicit bias there, but. No, I think that when you really break it down, the crimes are totally different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Okay. Sarah Giaquinta, Colleen's fellow math teacher, testified that she and Colleen had spoken after school outside of Colleen's classroom. At one point, Sarah had asked her if she needed to get back to the two students in her room. And Colleen had said, well, the girl's just drawing on the board. And she said she had no idea why Philip was even there. Oh. This contradicts another classmate who said that she remembered hearing Colleen ask Philip to stay after school. But I think that... I trust more Sarah's story, the teacher, about she's having a private conversation with Colleen and recalling something that Colleen told her in this private conversation, not the student who is just overhearing a teacher say something to another student. And I I think maybe the student could be mistaken more than I think Sarah. So I, I think that Philip was just there. She didn't ask him to come to that tutoring. He just showed up and she didn't have any idea why he was even there. She's like, he doesn't even need help. I don't know why he's here. Mm-hmm. Also, side note, it was twin dress-up day for Spirit Week that day, and Sarah and Colleen are dressed as twinsies. <gasps> Is there a photo of that? I think there's, like, the surveillance video. I mean, she was just in, like, black slacks and, like, a purple uh, top. Just, like, and like Yeah. yeah. Uh. Philip's lawyer, Denise Reagan, was a public defender. But I think she did what she could with this case. Like, I don't think he I got mean- a bad defense. <laughs> Yeah, she, I don't think there is much of one. Yeah, she went in admitting right away to the murder because you have to, but said that it was the result of a psychotic episode. And she had a few other tricks up her sleeve. First, she brought into question the timeline police gave for when they discovered Colleen's body. Because police said they didn't know Colleen was dead when they started questioning Philip and that Colleen's body had been discovered later. But both officers testified that they were still hoping to find Colleen alive and that they'd even called in the fire department to see if they could use their thermal imaging camera to help in the search for her. I think the only reason that this whole thing about when the police found her and stuff, I think the only thing that matters is because of the waiving of the Miranda rights. But yeah. uh, again... It's we, all she had. It's yeah. all this attorney had. Yeah. I mean, and we don't need the confession to know exactly what he did. We can watch it happen. Practically. There would be a lot of debate at trial over when Colleen actually died, because at the time, under Massachusetts law, it was not a crime to sexually assault a dead body. 
This has since been fixed. Why, because why? Because why? Why yeah. would we even need that law? It, you know, it yeah. is now a crime, but it wasn't then, which meant that he couldn't be found guilty of raping her in the woods with the tree branch if she died in the bathroom. The state was also trying to prove extreme atrocity or cruelty, something that they would need to do to get first degree murder in Massachusetts. And apparently slicing her throat with a box cutter in the bathroom wasn't enough of an atrocity or cruelty. They had to show that she was still alive when he put her in the bin and took her to the woods. I bet if there would have been photos, if the bathroom had not, I, again, I'm not blaming the janitor. That's not right. the custodian. It's not his fault. But I think like that scene that you're expecting to see isn't there. Like there's no photos of that. It sounds like, you know. Right. Yeah. And that probably would have painted a picture of like how atrocious it was. I also really don't think that she was still alive when they took her to the woods. But I also don't think that that absolves him of extreme atrocity and cruelty. I don't think they need that. I don't know what's more cruel than murdering someone. Right. I also don't, I don't want to think about this long and hard, but I'm not understanding how a 14-year-old, I don't know how big he is compared to her, but like how he lifted and got her body into a recycle thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm picturing like those push trash cans at like cafeterias. Is that what No, I'm- they're like the recycling bins that you would wheel out to your curb. Like the oh. ones with the lid. Yeah. Yeah. So the defense argued that obviously Colleen was killed in the bathroom, but the prosecutor said there was a possibility that she was still alive in the woods when the assault took place. And they had some evidence on their side. They had a tissue sample from near the site of an injury that they believe came from the second assault that showed blood cells had moved down there. And that would be unlikely if her heart had stopped, like that she was still alive. But I just think that that's a little weak evidence. I don't think that she was still alive, but I feel like that's just a gut feeling. (laughs) It's based on no evidence. So (laughs) not based on science, not based on 40 percent, 40% accurate. Yeah. I don't know. That makes sense to me also. How did he, did she get from the bathroom to the woods strictly in the recycle bin? I know he was like pushing it all around, but I guess the woods are close to the school. Yeah. The woods are like directly adjacent to the school and they found the recycling bin by her body. So he'd like wheeled it into the woods. The defense also tried to argue that they couldn't charge Philip with robbery since he hadn't taken her wallet and credit cards directly from her. Oh, my God. (laughs) Get me out of here. He'd taken them from her purse, I guess. But the judge was like, absolutely (laughs) not. Sit down. (laughs) Yeah. The only thing the prosecution was really worried about, because they obviously have such a strong case, the only thing they're worried about is the fact that they don't have a strong motive which would leave it wide open for the defense to be able to say that he snapped in the middle of a psychotic episode. Or, okay, so not that it was just, like, someone else in the bathroom. No. That's what I was waiting for. Oh, someone else was in the bathroom. They were just sitting in there, like. No, but without a a reason why he would do this, it does lend more credibility to he was in the middle of a psychotic break. But even people in psychotic breaks have a reason. They're just not all willy-nilly. I mean, Morgan thought that Slenderman needed her to kill somebody. And there was a connection between they were all friends. Like, what's the connection here other than teacher to student? Like, he had other teachers, you know? Yeah. So the prosecution leaned into that it was a sexually driven crime, and that's why he'd done it. They were also able to show additional surveillance before he went to Colleen's math class that last period, where he stopped by his locker to get his second backpack, the one with the box cutter gloves and mask in it. 
And then mm-hmm. he'd sat in class during that whole period with that stuff in his backpack, just waiting, waiting, waiting. This was definitely premeditated. He did not snap. And he chose her. Yep. And he chose her before he went to that math class that day when he got his backpack out of the locker. Right. And took it to her class. And I wonder if he was hanging out in there after school waiting for that girl to leave, the other student. I think it was a girl. Mm -hmm. The other student. Mm -hmm. And he was waiting until she left because he couldn't. Although, I don't know. He could have basically just done it in front of her. He doesn't seem to be hiding anything. He is trying to hide it. He's wearing a mask. He's putting gloves on. He's not doing it well. He's not great at it. He's not a ninja. (laughs) Yeah, ninja. (laughs) But he is trying to hide it. He's putting his hoodie on to shield his face from the camera. You know, he is doing all of that stuff. Yeah. The trial lasted about a month, and the jury deliberated for one day before finding Philip guilty of first-degree murder, rape, and robbery. All three. That's right. It was a couple of months later before he had his sentencing hearing, where Colleen's family and friends were given the opportunity to read victim impact statements. They all wore pink to the hearing, which was Colleen's favorite color, and many of them cried while they read their statements. (sighs) Colleen's sister, Laura, was a senior in high school when the murder occurred. (gasps) Oh. And she said, I lived my life hoping that this was just all a bad dream and that I'll wake up from it someday. I sat in my house every afternoon hoping Colleen would walk in the door and come home from school. I wish I could go back in time and protect my sister. This is the one that gets me. Her dad, Tom Ritzer, said, a dad's job is to protect his family. I didn't protect Colleen. A dad's job is to fix things. I would do anything to fix this for Colleen. He said the worst part was watching the surveillance footage, watching her walk to the bathroom, when he just wanted to scream at her to turn back to not go into the bathroom. I've never once walked in a bathroom and thought that I wouldn't walk out. Yeah. I just can't. Massachusetts had recently passed a law saying that minors could not get life without parole sentences, which I usually think is a good law. But sometimes it really sucks. And this is one of those cases. The fact that Philip is guaranteed a chance at parole means that Colleen's family will have to attend parole board hearings. Where they will have to relive the worst days of their lives again and again to try and keep Philip in prison. And that sucks for all families that have to do that. Yeah. In the end, Philip was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 25 years for the first degree murder, but he also got two 40-year sentences for both the rape and the robbery to be served concurrently, which I don't get, but it means that he will have to serve at least 40 years before he can apply for parole, so he'll be 54. So at least her family has 40 years before they have to start trying to keep him in prison. So that is the story of the murder of Colleen Ritzer. But I have an organization for this episode. Oh, great. And it kind of stemmed from I started thinking about Colleen's family having to go to all those parole hearings, you know, after decades and families that have to go to these parole board hearings to try to keep their loved ones murderers in prison. It's really hard. And so I started trying to find organizations that help families get through things like that. And through looking into that, I just realized how incredibly overwhelming and daunting 
it would be to try and navigate all of the legal issues when you have a loved one that's been murdered. Like just everything, like you're not just grieving your loved one. Now you have to deal with lawyers and courts and trials yeah. and investigations and, you know, all of that media. stuff. And media. And I found Homicide Survivors, Inc., which is an advocacy organization that helps families do all of that stuff. They attend court hearings with survivors. They partner with attorneys who give families legal advice. They help with the media. They offer support groups and financial assistance, all sorts of things that victims' families might need and have absolutely no idea how to get. So I will have a link in the show notes if you'd like to donate them. It seems like they're a pretty small organization, but that they're really trying to do some good work. They seem like a good organization to support, and they're called Homicide Survivors. That's awesome. And now, Mogab, we got some shout outs to give. Oh, major shouts. Major shouts. If you would like major shouts, your shout out, you got to join the Patreon at the $5, $7, or $10 levels. All of them come with a shout out. You got to submit your shout out, though. You got to fill out the form, submit your shout out, because we don't want to be playing the guessing game Thank you. So we have a form on the Patreon. If you go in there, it's posted. We will post it kind of once a month just to keep it up so it doesn't get lost in the feed. But you go in there, you submit your name, what you'd like the shout out to be. So if you don't want me to say your full name, you don't want us to say your full name, that's fine. We can say your first name. We can say a nickname. Just don't give us something that would make us uncomfy to say. Like, don't be be that. But otherwise, we're happy to say your name. So... Here we go. Thank say you. Say my name. Say my name. Thank you to these oh. people for supporting our Patreon. Mogab. Without further ado, major shouts, Amy Beverage. Major shouts to Julie. And Amanda May. And Monica. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you would do <laughs> Thank you, Monica. Corinne B. Michelle Bird. And... Oh, hell no. (laughs) No, I'm not doing this one. I refuse. You're not going to say your own boyfriends? No, because this this is not my boyfriend. I'm pretty sure I'm not dating a doctor. Dr. Russell P. Wildrick Esquire. Thank you so much. (laughs) Also, I'm pretty annoyed that he's an Esquire and we've been asking for a lawyer for like seven episodes now. Get out of here. Real major shouts this time to Jody Green. Actual super thank you to Crystal. Amanda Johnson. Courtney Lane. Ooh, how do you feel about this one? Major shouts to Kristen with an E in <laughs> and not an I in. Major shouts to Drake William. And last but certainly not least, major shouts, Emily Miller. So if you did not hear your name this week, we will for sure give you your shout out on a later episode. So keep your ears peeled. And if you haven't filled out the shout out form yet, get on there and do that. That was fun. Yeah. Nice little way to end the episode. Shout myself out. I'm going to shout. I'm going to give myself major shouts. Major shouts, Mogab. You got to join the Patreon if you want that. So. Hey, peeps and creeps, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We'd love to hear from all of you. So find us on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Creepers Pod, or join our Facebook discussion group. You can also email us any feedback or case suggestions at creeperspod at gmail.com. 
Also, a huge thanks to everyone who has left us a review on Apple Podcasts. They help us out in such a big way. Do you know what else helps us out in such a big way, Mogab? Patrons. That, yes. But also, <laughs> if you tell your friend. Tell, yeah, a, tell, tell a couple friends. friends. Tell your friends. They like true crime. If they don't, tell them to listen. And maybe they'll like it. <laughs> or they'll like us. Or they'll like us. Spread the word. Help us grow. That would be amazing. And be sure to subscribe to True Crime Creepers so you'll have our next episode as soon as it drops when I'll tell Mogab another wild story. Bye, peeps and creeps. Bye.